All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's action for everyone. I am uh, unusually and inappropriately excited, but I am here with the boys uh, on this here July 10th, 2022, and that always makes me happy. So I am, uh, I am as always your host, Mike Scott, joined this week by the inimitable Vice Victus. Vice, wearing a pink tank top. Yeah, man, I get on my love of thunder on the chocolate thunder. Right here. I, fu- I fucked up again. I so it's actually funny. I have recently, for reasons, acquired a bunch of uh, NBA jerseys. I should have worn my Utah Jazz <laughs> Gordon Hayward jersey, but I I am not showing the guns today. Well, here let's do this um for posterity slash the cold open. I'm gonna um show show my my chocolate guns, stun the guns to yeah. take a screen cap of that. Because <laughs> uh, we have, well we'll get to it in a minute, but uh, we have some uh, company with us today, so I just gotta let them know. This is, this is kind of foolish to be doing around here. <laughs> yep, we do. And uh, we actually just lost him. Uh, but I will say we're joined, as always, by our uh, our other brother, Liam O'Donnell. But uh, we are joined by a very special guest this week, Kirsten Howard. How are you? I'm doing good. As I've said to everyone I've talked to today, this heat wave is killing me here in the UK. Uh, I do not enjoy the heat and we don't have aircon indoors here. So uh, we're all struggling, but we're getting through it slowly. And and if y'all are wondering, if you are hearing this uh, post edit, because you know, again, we here on Action for Everyone, we, we, we let people behind the curtain. We let you see the uh, little old man that is in fact the uh, great and mighty uh, Oz. Uh, if you're hearing background noise, it's Kirsten's fan. I assure you, she needs that fan <laughs> on. So if you're listening, we'll just have to deal. <laughs> it has got to stay on. You yeah. need to be comfortable. Uh, Kirsten, <laughs> tell us about what you do with Den of Geek. I'm the news and features editor at Den of Geek, um, which means that it's exactly what it sounds like. I just edit news and features there. I started off there as just a freelancer who would come in and do the odd thing. Um, My editor at the time realized quite quickly that I was a huge masochist and gave me certain projects to do. And that ended up being a bit of a hazing at Den of Geek. Um, the first one I did was watching all of Dean Cain's Christmas movies. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but they are quite diabolically bad. Um, next I was put on like watching all of uh, Bruce Willis's straight to DVD movies. Then I did Val Kilmer's straight to DVD movies. Um, did uh, John Cusack's straight to DVD movies. I did the Bring It On sequels, the Tremors sequels, you know, you name it. I've, uh, I've uh, submitted myself to it. Um, but then, yeah, I came on board and was a regular member of staff, and I've been working there about seven years now. That's a fucking crucible if I ever heard one. Right. That's a DK <laughs> Christmas. Holy shit. I thought I was hardcore. Well, the nonsense I watched, you know, I, I watched all the uh, Marine features, you know, like the, the, the original with uh, John Cena as the Marine. Oh, then yes. Bunch of, bunch, then there was a bunch of, like, uh, DTV sequels with the other, other wrestlers, like The Miz and stuff. Come on, man, you, you went through it. Oh, my, I, I my hat's off to you. <laughs> <laughs> and well, and Nothing that, can hurt me now, Vice. Nothing. <laughs> that's what makes you perfect for this show because DTV sequels are, um, you know, kind of our bread and butter. 
on this uh, on this show, and uh, we have we have done those crucibles. I uh, I am a very very big fan of the uh, Marine movies, and I've done all those deep. So that that makes you uh, that makes you perfect for this. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, and I, I this more to this last last two years ago now, I did the uh, my sniper mega movie marathon over the summer. Uh, when I watched all eight of the sniper films, there which are is funny eight of those? I was just going to say most oh people don't, don't even know there's more than one. Right. But, uh, I, <laughs> I remember, you know, I, I was a fan of the original '93, I think it was, and the first sequel was actually well, straight to cable HBO film, and I remember seeing that in my youth, so it's always been with me. So yeah, I've been. That's kind of my my uh, uh, my love uh, is the of sequels is that one, and then I, I saw last week, actually this week, actually, uh, well. We'll, we'll get in the trailers in a second, but there's a new one coming out, the ninth film, coming later this this summer. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, man, we we are in good company, I must say. <laughs> it's interesting how these military uh, genre sort of movies do tend to go on in uh, you know straight to video or whatever. There's those. I think there's like four Jarhead movies now. Yeah, yeah, and I know Mike has you know some more intimate knowledge with that because uh, Scott really? Atkins was in one was in one of them. I believe it was three, I believe. So yeah, yeah, and then that's also another interesting thing is that uh, these uh, because of well, this is part of my analysis that I get into in the war film stuff is that because of we're living in the global war and terror era, quote unquote, the the kind of this uh, soft demand for these things, or like you know, like well, in my specific case, you'd be a soldier in the PX, you know, and you're just kind of bored, you want to see a cheap movie. Well, here goes some guy in a uniform shooting guns with a old star, I vaguely remember. I'll watch that, and that kind of it's a legal system almost. It's very yeah, it's a very strange phenomenon that we we're living through <laughs> with those ETV schools. Uh, he has a couple of things, folks listening. He has rejoined us. Welcome back, Liam O'Donnell. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, as soon as it started, it just said internet unstable, and I had to had to. So hopefully the intros went great without me, and uh, and and you guys already introduced our early guest. We we did, and actually, your internet is still unstable. So shut off your camera. Let's see if we can get you a stable. Connection. Let's see if this works. Okay. We uh, we have so much raw power on this podcast today well, that I need to be kicking up. You can see me, and po- folks listening, I am now in fact wearing a Celtics. <laughs> oh wow. A cursed jersey. <laughs> God, we, are, we are the least professional podcast on the face of the earth. Anyway, I was going to say I am, in fact, wearing a Celtics Gordon Hayward jersey. Uh, so uh, but I just threw it on quickly over my T-shirt. So my guns are still not out. But uh, but Liam, I'm wearing this for you. Just so you know, I am wearing this for you. Uh Well, I actually I actually got you a little something uh, for you. Sun's out, guns out today, and I had an Amazon crossfire and uh, sent you uh, a kid's gift instead. I believe. Did you get the Lego package? I was supposed to go to a birthday party today. I didn't open it uh, because I'm going to send it back. uh, Because, but yes, I got your text last night about it. So I am, I am, uh, I am absolutely. I'll send it back so you can. you can uh, get your uh, get your money back on that. I didn't open it, but uh, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry that somehow Amazon messed that up. 
I, it obviously was me, but yeah, I was like, what, 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 no, what would no, I no, send no. Mike no, if Jeff, I could send him anything? It was Jeff Bezos. It was, uh, let's just blame Jeff Bezos. Like, like, don't take that blame on yourself. You don't need to take that. Um, well, okay. Well, hopefully your package is getting there Tuesday and, uh, and you better be wearing it, uh, for, for next week's uh, oh, action I, for everyone. I damn sure will. All right. Uh, Liam, you actually have some some history with Kirsten. So uh, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So um, obviously, you know, my we we talk a lot about uh, the movies I've done in the past. And and, um, Beyond Skyline was this crazy long uh, marathon of a movie. And um, it was kind of, you know, in post forever. It it, it was just a lot of work. And uh, it, and people were still kind of like, what the hell is this thing? Even in the first couple of uh, festival things, but it was starting to take, you know, people by surprise because of how much, I guess, uh, effort was put into this. Uh, I think that's kind of, it's the A for effort thing. But, um, you know, I, I, I remember it was just one random night, you know, early on in that festival process. And I saw the, the Den of Geek review pop up and, uh, and started reading it. Uh, you know, I was like literally walking up the stairs into my bedroom, reading it. And I remember getting to the part where um, Kristen really said, like, it's like, you just have to look at the ambition of this thing. It's like, it's, it's one of the most ambitious independent sci-fi films of, of the past uh, decade. And I kind of like collapsed I, like it onto <laughs> the ground in, in, in my room and was just kind of like, like sobbing. I was just like, oh, someone saw that like I really like how much work and uh, like went into it, you know, whether or not it all lands. It, it was just like that, uh, that, that moment of being kind of seen that like, wow, this guy really, you know, went for it in, in, in a way that was unique. And that's all I ever really, you know, wanted to hear. So it was, uh, it, 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 I was like, all right, I've got to, I've got to reach out to, to this writer. And then, um, we started, you know, trading emails and then we did uh, a really cool interview, uh, for Denny Geek about that. And then, you know, we've kind of been friendly. I'm keeping her abreast of, of, of the making of part three and, and, uh, and, and, and throughout that. So it's been kind of, a uh, you know, a, a fun, uh, relationship. And, um, again, I'm just, uh, it, it's one of, it, it is probably the, like life changing review for me of being like, did anyone notice what I did? <laughs> and then like, okay, wait, someone out there kind of uh, actually appreciated the uh, the insanity that went into this. Right, and Beyond Skyline remains one of the only movie reviews I've done for Den of Geek because I hate doing reviews. Um, it's just not for me at all. I don't like saying negative things about people's art essentially, even if it's, you know, if it is the day, the Dean Kane Christmas movies, I, uh, I really don't like to say bad things about, uh, you know, people put a lot of work into this stuff and you know, who the hell am I to come along and, and criticize it? That's, that's always been my mental process. So I tend to avoid doing reviews, but when I had the Beyond Skyline uh, screener and I was just like I, yeah I guess I'll watch it I didn't know there was going to be a sequel to this and as we've already established I'm up for a sequel you know uh, so I put this on and I was like this guy is doing like how many genres here is he trying to do like I love it I, I felt like it was a really fun movie and and that's when I, I think I asked I was like can I review this because I really want to say some nice stuff about it I think more people should watch it and yeah we've known each other ever since yeah yeah, that's so that's so uh, 
awesome to hear. I didn't, I didn't realize that that was, uh, that, that you, you didn't do it as often. And that was, uh, you know, your process on the other end, you know, it is interesting about the the negative reviews because I've never been a critic, but kind of being on this show for the past couple of months, you start to function as one. And I, I, I'm always in such a great mood when it was like Top Gun Maverick and we can just get on here and rave about something. And then when something's like negative, it, 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 it really puts me in a bad state of mind. Like if I don't like something, I, I get really nervous and, yes. uh, and try to couch my words and, and parse how I do it. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's something I'm kind of learning and, and it, it's not really a, an easy way to go about it. Each one, you kind of have to figure it out. There's, you know, there's a level of empathy in it, isn't there? I mean, how would you feel if someone said those things about something you'd done? You know, I just don't like it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, and I think that's something yeah. that we've been pretty good about talking about is like um, just kind of hitting it on like what is the intention and it, yes. like we were saying, the effort. Like is the effort there? Is, the, is it like, is it cynical? And uh, I think that the kind of the places where we usually let off the chain and, and kind of go after something is when you can feel the cynicism that or, and kind of the lack of effort. Um, I still haven't seen the man from Toronto, but these two gentlemen really, uh, you know, went to town on that one because it, it felt, I guess it, it was within those, uh, you know, the, those uh, air, that it, it, it was, it, it felt like a cynical kind of cash in type of movie. So, you know, I, I think, I think is, and we, we also, adjust from budget level and try to meet the movie where it is so you know somebody asked me on twitter this week what is my uh, sort of assessment or analysis for what makes a good movie and uh my response was uh does the movie succeed at what it sets out to accomplish given everything it's trying to do so, and the example I used was actually uh, Undisputed 3. You know, nobody that watched Undisputed 3, nobody that made that movie thought they were making an Oscar winner. Like, <laughs> but they set out to make one of the best martial arts movies of all time. And as far as I'm concerned, they did. And so that movie's nothing but great. The Man from Toronto, every single person from the director to the actors all the way down to the fucking caterer has done better work and is capable of better work than they did in that movie. And that's why that movie pissed me off. And that's why that's one I don't mind being really negative about and shitting on because everybody involved. I, I just, I have to think if I sat down with Woody Harrelson, I was like, dude, really? He'd be like, yeah, I, I wanted to buy a new boat. Like, what, what do you want me to do? I wanted to buy a new boat. Like, you know, like it just, that, and that's when we hear to, because we try and keep it positive, but that's when we do get negative is when it's like, yeah, we know you can do better. You've done better. Like, it's obvious you're supposed to. Well, I just like love talking shit in general, uh, <laughs> whether I hate it or I love it. And, um, but like more seriously, it's like a, because in my past life, I was an, an, an analyst. So it's kind of like a, it's, it's a, a old habit that dies hard. But even though, even now though, it's, it's helped me to be, it helped start my career in the first place, talking about war films being in war, but also just like, um, even the 
especially the fun stuff, like the DTV, DTV stuff, because um, if like, yes, it can be uh, immediate at, at its level, or we can only take it seriously so far because that's how that's how the artist is doing it. But if we want to take them actually seriously, then we kind of have to dig, dig into the weeds and like you know, you know, go into the gut a little bit, you know, get in the ring with the with the things. So like, I'm, I I don't feel afraid to do that because like I, I feel like that's a respect to the art itself, you know. Um, especially when they when I see they're trying to do something, it, well, when they're trying to do something serious, I'm taking that seriously too. But even if they're not, they do some more fun. Like like we recently uh, last week, we talked about uh, the princess. And it's kind of a from Lee Van Kiet the uh, Fury. You know, it's, it's definitely a more upbeat, fun thing. Um, and so we we met it at that level. But also there were some pretty interesting like um, social commentary stuff in there as well. That I I thought being critical and and getting into that stuff was both beneficial to the movie and to people in the audience in general. Um, so yeah, I'm. I don't feel as afraid to talk shit. Uh, partly because like, I, I'm kind of a nobody too. Like like you know, I, I I'm not like a, I don't make films and I don't like a, I'm not part of a publication anymore. So like you know, what are you gonna do to me? You know, <laughs> oh, plus right. can't be my ass. <laughs> like if I see you <laughs> on the street, you gonna say something? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> no, no, I don't I'm less afraid to talk shit, but I am afraid <laughs> to publish it. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, where that's the line is. Like, I, I think that's all, that's also the nice thing about the podcast is that it's like it's it's you have things in context. I, there's definitely stuff I think that I will not tweet. You know, like yeah. we say, it goes viral. People take it out of context. You know, you can't control Twitter. It's a fucking it's a dumpster fire. So you have to kind of like you know go in knowing each time is this gonna fucking blow up in my face. But the podcast, it's like we've got a couple hundred people that are all really cool that listen to it, and they definitely, uh, you know, kind of listen to us. Uh, and uh, sorry, not listen to us, but we'll take everything into context. And we have yet to have anything like aggregated out of this blow up, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the reality is, you know, I I don't know. It's uncouth for podcasters to talk about their audience, but we typically have about four hundred listens every week i have the lowest follower count of all of us here and i still have like 2200 twitter followers so obviously if somebody takes the time to listen to us idiots rattle on for an hour and a half to two hours every friggin' week uh they uh they know you know they're dedicated they, they're gonna get where we're coming from as opposed to somebody just gonna drive by on twitter uh, and uh, deciding they want to torch me by taking something out of context. Um, you know, it's a different, it's a different avenue. And this is why we do this every week. Honestly, I think the three of us would do this if nobody listened. It's yeah. fun to talk every Sunday. Um, we, there was something you said, Mike, and I don't know if we're, what, what itinerary wise, do you guys want to go to the trailers or you want to go to the movie? uh let's we can do either or uh, you know uh since kirsten's here why don't we why don't we go go to the movie first in case she has to uh in case she has to bounce okay well you said you said that no one in um no one on the, on a certain movie thought they were making an oscar you know you no one thought they were making an oscar for undisputed three and that's actually one of the the reasons why i disliked the Eternals quite a bit because I felt like you could sense everyone making that thought they were making an Oscar movie. And it's just a pretty generic superhero movie. So that that kind of, to me, was of this phase four of MCU was kind of the most dull and felt like it should have been a series 
Whereas some of the other ones that were series like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I would have liked that to be a movie. Still one of my uh, favorite of, of phase four, but you know, it's, fe- it's been like just feeling sort of hit and miss and, and weird as far as like they planned up into the big party. And then afterwards they've been kind of like, uh, let's, let's do things a little different. And I, I actually think some of the, I was thinking about Kevin Feige is like in his Joe Biden era right now. <laughs> He's kind of like, like they won, but like, he doesn't really want to listen to the constituency, but he's kind of listening. And like, he's like saying like, Oh, maybe I should give directors more freedom, but then things are getting messy and unwieldy. And it, it, it's kind of just, it's an interesting phase. It feels like the worm is starting to turn as far as the uh, obviously film Twitter but um, the general public, you know, th- with Love and Thunder, you know, getting a, a less than an A uh, cinema score was also kind of interesting. It still obviously made a shit ton of money, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how it holds. Um, you know, I, I thought uh, just for context, like Ragnarok is is probably one of the top five uh, MCU movies for me. I really love it. And I've done uh, a pretty pretty big deep dive into that movie trying to figure out why I loved it so much and why it worked. And so that that's an interesting contrast to me, to love and thunder, which I, I think is probably a three-star movie. There's a lot of it that's still entertaining to me. And it, it's a comedy. It is like, it's, but it, it's got like ghostbusters two energy to me. Whereas like, uh, you know, the first one is kind of a classic and it works at every level. I'm not a huge ghostbusters two fan. There's, there's a lot of baby jokes. Uh, there's a lot of slime. It kind of like feels like they're riffing. And I think the the issue with riffing in general is that like if you're on top of the bones of a really rock solid story, you can improvise a lot and you can riff and, and things will work out. But if the story is kind of not as super propulsive and, and, and has this great foundation, then you start to feel like, hey, are you guys just making this up as you go along? And I, I think that's kind of what the difference between, I'd say, Ragnarok and, and Love of Thunder is. It's interesting you say that it reminds you of Ghostbusters too, because I was actually getting more of a Ghostbusters 2016 vibe. And I actually really enjoyed that movie, and I enjoyed this movie a lot too. Um, the wheels coming off in a movie is not something that bothers me at all. <laughs> I've got to say, <laughs> I mean, going into phase four, you've got you've got three main problems. They'd built up, you know, over 10 years up to Endgame, you know, huge, epic conclusion. After that, they're, they're basically starting from scratch again, you know, and they're, they're throwing a lot of wild stuff around. Like if they want to do some impenetrable Jack Kirby comic stuff from the late 70s, you know, why not? I guess we'll do that. They want to put Moon Knight in live action, you know, one of the, uh, a lot of people have, have struggled and, and tried to get Moon Knight in live action for years and haven't been able to make it work. And, you know, the jury's still out whether they made it work with this show. Um, the, you know, they're just doing whatever they want because what's the downside? They can't, they can't really win or lose either way, right? Because... You know, you you start. You, it's Sisyphean. Like they they're at the bottom of the hill, and they've got to push that rock back up. So they might as well try new stuff, and see what sticks. Um, the second main problem with Phase Four is the pandemic. Obviously, you pushed a lot of stuff back. Stuff that was supposed to connect stories that were supposed to build on each other ended up coming out after or before, and it it kind of felt a bit confused. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the third problem for me is that in the in the meantime, we've had stuff like The Boys, um, which is absolutely skewering superhero culture and storytelling. And you've got something like Invincible as well, which is pushing like that storytelling further. So the NCU is now in a place where it's also trying to catch up. It's like, do we do we service our fans? Do we try and do something new? Um, yeah, I can imagine there's a lot of talk going on behind the scenes at Marvel Studios at the moment. That's a pretty beautiful summation of what's going to be the main issue so far. And I felt those in ver- to various degrees so far in the films, in the, in the new Disney Plus stuff. Um, so actually, I just actually literally just came from watching uh, Thor 4 this morning at a 9 a.m. showing. Jesus Christ. Oh, what, are they, what are they doing to these poor kids in the movie theater? Uh, so so I'm still kind of like a, this, the thoughts are still stewing in my brain. So I'm glad that we're here to get to talk through them. Um, and I'll just say before we get into the deep, deep stuff, the spoilers and whatever, overall, um, I, I I kind of enjoyed it. I, I, oh, I'll say this. I didn't hate it nearly as much as some of my, my friends and some of the reviewers have. You know, like, I, like this is not Morbius, you know? This is not a uh, moonfall. <laughs> this is not the man from Toronto. It's not that, you know, it's not that of a disaster by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but, you know, within the spectrum of the MCU films, I'm still not, it's, it's, so far it still feels in the lower, lower end to me. Um, but, you know, like, uh, and then specifically in the case of this being part four and Taika Waititi's second outing, it, that, that, that sense of the, uh, where's this all going, the, the, the wheel spinning, I definitely felt that here. Um, but then, uh, and like, but with this movie and the other, uh, this movie, the other phase four films and the Disney stuff, I do see a, a feel of a current theme coming on that Mike spoke to uh, a few, a few, a little while ago about what's coming next, like both in here in the real world as a business wise, but like in story as like, not really what's next, but who's next. It seems to be coming a, a, a bit, a big theme that they're bringing up. More, more so than ever now, now that I've seen this film. So I am interested to see where, where that thread leads. Um, but for now, uh, you know, I just kind of, you know, I, I enjoyed it more than I did it, but uh, didn't. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, I guess I'll, I'll say before we get to this poll that the, uh, the best thing Taika Waititi has done for these films is uh, introduce new kids to a Ronnie James Dio. <laughs> Rainbow with the Dark Song is in their credits. So yeah, the people been talking shit about the, uh, Guns, the Guns N' Roses, uh, uh, o- overload, but uh, I mean, hey, man, it, that's that's a good song. That we, we gonna do. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I I was gonna say, um, yeah. The, the 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 there's a lot in it that if you don't think it's funny and the, you don't laugh, uh, you're gonna hate it. Yeah. So if if the comedy absolutely does not work for you and you're not giggling at all, then it, I could imagine it being an excruciating experience. But you know, I think. The difference in the jokes from from this to the last one is not as far as you think. It just doesn't have as propulsive of a story, so you kind of start to feel like shaggy. Um, but it, go back to my my like Ragnarok breakdown. One of the things I think is like really brilliant about the movie is that it starts and you have this other villain introduced, um, you know, who has this the prophecy of Ragnarok, and then he gives you a scene where he's like, "I'm going to give you the ultimate Thor scene. I'm going to." put on Led Zeppelin and I'm going to show him killing all these guys. And it's going to be like, we need to show him at the peak of his powers right up front. Then when they go back to Asgard and they show that play 
it's funny that you've got Matt Damon and Hemsworth's older brother doing it, but they were literally recapping, you know, the last movie that not a lot of people saw or really remembered. And so I always thought that was super clever because, you know, I'm this guy writing these sequels that like only a couple thousand people have seen. So I've always got to figure out how to do these sneak recaps in as you go. Um, and, and then like, you know, he takes Thor down, he brings him down. He, he gives him a completely new look. And the villain in part three, you know, it had a really great uh, commentary on, you know, the, the actual, you know, critical race theory of Asgard, <laughs> like, you know, the colonialism that 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 was happening and the, the wars that, that actually were were hidden later after they supposedly had their peace. Like, how did they get so wealthy? So I actually thought it had a lot um you know, going on, not, not necessarily beneath the surface, but on the surface, you know, these movies aren't really so much about beneath the surface, but on the surface, it worked really well. You have a great villain, you have Loki, uh, which I think love and thunder. You can kind of see like Loki having Loki in a Thor movie is it's like peanut butter and jelly. And like love and thunder is like maybe peanut butter and peanut butter. And like, you're like, where it needs that. It needs the jelly, uh, you know, Tom, Tom. And it's also kind of a weird choice after doing the Loki show. Like I thought he was going to show up uh, at, at the end or at, during the mid credits or something, but he's just completely, um, you know, not in this one, I guess we're beginning the, the spoiler part of the conversation. Um, but the, to me, you've got uh, Christian Bale doing a, a really great, but, uh, almost they gave him too much rope, you know, like his villain is really compelling and he's, he's Christian Bale. He's one of the best actors in the world, but they kind of have him explain his motivation like three times without anything switching. And you kind of, by the time they have a big face off in the middle or towards the climax of the second act, you're kind of like, Oh, this is it. This is all they've got. And they're going to just have to fight him again. And I think one of those things in Ragnarok that they, they did so smart is that that wild card villain that they set up in the first act then came in again into play in the third act. And you have this big, huge monster destroying Asgard and, and those two kind of hit off of each other. And so my, my big spoiler issue on this one is that they kind of set this up when he fights Zeus and steals his Thunderbolt. And then they set it up for the sequel that Zeus's son is going to, you know, avenge him, but that should have been within this movie. I feel like that third act needed like another dynamic outside so that, uh, you know, while they're going to try to get gore, someone else is actually hunting them. The end fight for wild cards and, and energy happening to it. And you're like, Oh, wow, I didn't see this coming. So I kind of, as much as I liked, uh, the crazy, very much Taika thing of all these kids getting powers and, and killing people or killing uh, shadows. I thought that was uh, hysterical and kind of for me, the best part of the movie um, when you're, you know, hitting the November rain music cue. Um, but, you know, it, it did feel like it was kind of lacking this, this extra dynamic, this extra energy to kind of push things on that second half. Yeah, and let me really quick interject here. Uh, if you haven't already figured out, folks, if you're listening, we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie. So I think I just did, yeah. Yeah, you did, and you didn't give me a chance to give a spoiler warning. I, I did. I said spoiler when I was saying it. You did say spoiler, so I, yeah. I'm giving you credit there, but I just yeah. want to say, yeah, we are absolutely going to spoil the shit out of this movie. So um, if you haven't seen it, uh, you know, pause, 
go see it. I haven't even seen it yet, so Liam just spoiled it for me. But I actually like spoilers, so I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> an anxiety thing. I, I I need spoilers ahead of time. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, we're, we'll be talking freely about anything and everything in the movie. Um. Well, yeah. I just. Well, I, I'll say my points about the. Uh, you mentioned the surface stuff. I do want to get into that later on. But um, but as far as like the villain stuff, uh. You know, it's kind of the same thing we have, not just Phase Four, but a lot of these films were like, uh, it's those the villain has a point kind of thing, and it's even kind of proven in in the film with the uh, whole like Zeus and the what they call the um, omnipotent city, where there's like a collection of all of the guys, like you know, all the um, elites, the various what the elites. I mean yeah. that they're that they're basically talking about you know the one percent, you know. Yeah, yeah, or or just or like at least like more culturally mythologically speaking like you know like if Thor is a Norse god and the other gods are real too in this universe and so we see that clearly I think for I think for the first time actually well you know they did it with Moon Knight with the Egyptian gods but like here for like the in big scale you see all the gods are literally real like because of Kotal and uh you know all, all the various religions and mythologies so like which uh that th- and that, that seems like a very interesting thing to do and like in it made logical sense they just kind of like, oh, and you know, the fact that what's so cool is talking like a fake, like a uh, Mediterranean accent, or whatever, you know, because the Greek gods, so forth. So, um, but then, like, even that, it just kind of like doesn't to me, if like they didn't do anything with that, other than here's the here's part where he gets the MacGuffin or his uh, the power up, and they just like kind of go, even even with the uh, follow on um, uh, uh, singer thread or whatever about it, you know, with Duke, the new character who is actually, I think, uh, in the past few years or at least past decade. The character Hercules in the Marvel Comics version of Hercules has become a pretty big uh, 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 character. I think he was like in the Avengers at some point. Um, so yeah, you know that that makes sense. Like you know, for them, as far as like introducing a new a new iconic figure, but like it just kind of seemed wasted, and especially to the point of the, the whole God Butcher thing. Like that, that's the the stuff he's saying about you know faith, and you know, that's that's all this pretty big heady stuff. But it's just kind of just oh, no, I'm just the villain of the week. So and I, 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 you'll finish me with love or whatever. So yeah, just kind of more that kind of wasted energy, at least to me, like uh, of these really big uh, capital, big ideas, you know. So I can understand like people's problems with the the structure of this movie, and but I just feel like for me it just worked because it was so ridiculous and you know going back to what we're saying you know does this movie set out to do what it intends to do well it clearly wants to make us laugh and i laughed a lot um it it wants to you know touch us in the the love story and jane foster's story and i feel like it managed to do that for me um there were a lot of little touches again i'm very forgiving about the quality of a film but it has enough interesting ideas even if it ends up being quite a hot mess um so i love those mad owl creatures at the start they were very look like jim henson designs or something they were very cool um those jean claude van damme splits between the (laughs) the two (laughs) speeders or whatever that was amazing um, I quite like that they uh, undercut our expectations of the Thor and Star Wars relationship after the end of Endgame as well, because 
those two, it seemed like there was going to be a lot of dick swinging or whatever, you know, throughout this movie. And then they actually sort of became friends and were kind of supporting each other. And Star-Lord became a fan of Thor in a way, which I wasn't quite expecting. Um, I also like the shadow creatures that Gore had. I think they had quite a Harryhausen effect, like the way they came out of the ground that way. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed the design of that. Um, Russell Crowe just eating the scenery, <laughs> just completely. His little tutu walk down the steps. I just that, think that is, and, and like he amazing. actually still has the moves when he's doing the right. little spin around. I was like, all right, that's that's Maximus. <laughs> he still he still can move. Yeah. <laughs> If, I mean, I laughed at the goats every time. I thought I'd get bored of it, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> I, I I loved Axel. I like the little midlife crisis tattoo that Thor has on his back. Uh, oh, with, uh... that, that one got me. That was like, that was like <laughs> yeah. oh, right in the field, bro. Rip yeah. Loki. Rip Loki is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even stupid stuff like the bow bun god or whatever. I, I just. I just really found it massively entertaining, but I can completely understand like how you would go if it doesn't work for you. Like, what are you getting out of it, really? There's not much. I remember it was like uh, maybe it was Revenge of the Fallen that someone said like this is like eating cheesecake for you know a full dinner, and it's like you know sometimes <laughs> you know you want a little bit. So there is that that feeling with this one that it is very sugary yes. sweet for for all mm-hmm. th- three courses. Um, yeah, so I I get that too. I think uh, well, I want to kind of branching off to other comparisons. When we see now, you know, with his Phase Four post Thanos, whatever MCU, but I'm also thinking a lot about the uh, post Justice League slash post Zack Snyder DC MU a lot of, especially after seeing this, that kind of came up a lot in my head because they're trying. I think we talk about the the competition, the the field is kind of. Uh, uh, more more uh, uh, formidable now, and so I think one of the things that they're trying to do here in MCU that DCU has more or less been successful with is the whole uh, quote unquote uh, director driven kind of movies, and which is to say, uh, they have a lot of the DC ones have a lot of similar problems, but I think a little more than they've been a little more successful than not in that regard. So specifically, you know, the post this is um. Uh, right, right after, probably the biggest one, the biggest comparison is Aquaman. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that with starring, uh, directed by James Wan, like that was a really out there fucking movie. Like you know, from from any standpoint, DC and Marvel, or any kind of theater, and you know, and then um, after seeing this, I kind of I thought thought back to it and like I had problems with that as well that were similar to this, like you know, dialogue wise and just kind of structure wise, but like that felt a little more to me like just going for it. Than anything here for me, yes. Because like you know, like the, everything from like the, the octopus beating drums to like, the, the, but also like you know the, the really cool like, three sixty fight fight scene. So it's doing all this like weird shit that might not work, but also has a lot of stuff that does work really well too. And it feels definitive of of itself, not simply a cog in the wheel, even though it obviously is, you know, from a business standpoint. Um, well, yeah, but, that one vice. But I was gonna say like I think from an action standpoint though I think. I think Love and Thunder's action, he does not see, it's interesting. You could you could make the case from outside, maybe Taika isn't as interested in the action, but yeah. I actually would probably, I have no inside information whatsoever, but I almost feel like with Ragnarok, he was probably trusting the Marvel infrastructure a little bit more. And he was kind of like, it felt like his note was, I want to do these really like, 
big graphic wides, you know, for, yeah. for each fight. And so yeah. in each time in Ragnarok, there was a big fight. There was like a big slow-mo wide that was like a tapestry from it's a, a Kirby it's splash a, page. Yep, exactly. That's, that's, that's what he did in Ragnarok was splash pages. And it, and it looked great. And it, and it, and it kind of became a touchstone. And I also, I don't know if it's the drama or whatever. It's not like the fights are, you know, the most amazing thing ever, but I get excited every time I see the Hulk versus Thor fight in Ragnarok. It's got some type of dramatic propulsion that I want. I, I, I'm always like excited to see who wins. And I think it is well um, visualized because it's not really shot. Um, and so I think in some of this, the, the people might say in the criticism, oh, he doesn't care about the action of this, but it almost feels like maybe he wanted to do more of it. And, you know, you're only filtered through one person. And so they start to feel like everything was kind of shot with the 50 millimeter lens and it's kind of all a medium shot and it doesn't have the same um, like dynamicism of, of Ragnarok where it feels like everything's kind of filtered through probably more people and you're getting more perspectives. It's like one of those things with directing where it's like the tighter you hold the reins, the more everything could has the, has the, 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 the issue of becoming similar because you're one person and you're going to make the same decisions and you like the same things over and over again, the more you kind of can collaborate on stuff, the more variety things can have. So it is an, it's an interesting push and pull of, of a huge artistic collaboration, but I did feel like a lot of the action was kind of all shot in like the medium lens and uh, it didn't, it didn't have some of that same dynamicism. And it was also like, you know, I could tell he probably didn't want to repeat himself. Oh, I don't want to go back and do the exact same thing I did in Ragnarok. I'm going to try new things, but uh, I didn't feel like I was uh, as, as emotionally engaged in the action in this one. So Yeah, they, they well, okay. like, in, I'll just say for Jane's part, particularly like, a, oh, and you, you talk about the, you know, hooking the stars up. I think for the most part, they, they do, uh, put them well, like showing her being, you know, getting into this superhero garb and doing the superhero stuff. Yeah, had Molnir do having these new tricks up his sleeve, so I think that was presented well enough. But yeah, yeah, I definitely. Well, yeah, it, like I just said, it, it did feel like a little bit of a step down or so. Like, um, there's that as many, um, because again, like on paper, it's memorable. Like even now, just seeing it, you know, like I, like I can recall like the the setups and the staging clearly, but some of the actual the the hard to describe oomph of the fights isn't quite there. But like you said, you know, just he's trying some do, so it's that's it's always the chance it'll just not work. So it's a tough one. I really felt like the sequence when they went to the shadow realm and everything turned black and white. I was really intrigued by that, and also the way that the weapons sort sort of um, made the glow around them made color. And I was yeah. like, mm -hmm. how did they film that? Was that just like, I mean, Liam, do you have any? Well, it's You're all the filmed. guy to tell it's, me, right? <laughs> it's film. It's filmed in color. It's all filmed in color, and you're okay. taking the the color out digitally, and then wherever you want the color to be back in, you you put it back in. So it, when you know when you when you're filming now in um, you know with an Alexa or with a Red, you know you just have the ability to go black and white on on anything if you want. Um, and, and of course, you know they'll they'll pre-balance it a, a little differently. Um, you know, inside of the camera when they're going in to do it. But yeah, no, I, I actually thought that was, that was definitely a, a standout in, in a, in a cool idea for sure. 
Yeah, and the, the the city itself, you know, like the the big the the God City. That that was a nice, you, you know, the, the the seeing the towering spiral or, or spires. That was really well well composed. I, I thought, um, you know, so yeah, there, there's definitely visual stuff here that's popping. You know, at least in that regard, it's not for lack of trying. If it doesn't work for you, he's definitely putting in that work at least. Oh, speaking of putting in work. I, I might actually say he's too big in this movie. He's fucking absolutely insanely jacked. Uh, I, again, I think kind of Ragnarok Infinity War is the perfect Thor level. Like when he's laying on the table in Infinity War and they're like, that you're a dude, that is a man. You know, that <laughs> that's kind of like, like uh, I'd say ideal body, his his arms and his chest, like it, it almost looks CG, but it's not because you can see it. But you're like, your brain is trying to kind of like get around how uh, much muscle has been packed onto this guy's like lean frame. It's insane. Like he's trying to like one up that that part in um, Masters of the Universe, you know, the eighties with the uh, Dolph Lundgren, and he's like, uh, "I'll never see you, sorcerer, in front of uh, Frank Langella and Skeletor." Like he, he's like he's trying to one up that scene specifically with how jacked uh, fucking Dolph was back there. So like he's like, "No, nah, I can, I got, I got one of you, buddy." <laughs> and I, I guess in that regard, it works. Shit. Yes. He's no, he's he's humongous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's interesting being the guy who didn't uh get to see the movie this weekend. Um because uh Liam, a, a lot of uh, what you said unfortunately kind of turns me off a little bit because uh so I uh, let me make it clear. I fucking adore Ragnarok. Like I Ragnarok is absolutely a top five MCU movie. I fucking love it. And uh, and the thing that I love is the way that in that particular one, Taika uses the action to build the story. I, there are very, you know, the MCU is built on like cathartic hoorah scenes, right? Like every every MCU movie has those scenes. Uh, but Ragnarok, when uh, she's like, what are you the god of again? And then he has the chat with Anthony Hopkins, and then it flat it cuts back, and she says, "What are you the god of again?" And he lights up, and we immediately go into immigrants on. Like I, I, I think about that scene, and I get chills. And it, yeah, it's it sounds like this movie, while it's competent and entertaining, it it maybe doesn't have that that kind of high to it at least for you. And yes. No, it's exact. There's one moment like that, but that moment to me. And then, I mean, I think I've talked about this on Twitter before, like, you know, the, the fact that they, they took his eye out in that one. And uh, the, my monocular upbringing like that, just that something about that movie and, and, and that, uh, that whole part speaks so much to me. And it's probably my favorite part in the MCU. Like I, I was thinking about this, like, what run of of the MCU is your favorite? And it, it is really to me like I love 2017, 18, 19, you know, like and that's like Ragnarok, Infinity War, you know, Endgame's not, not that rewatchable. I loved it in the theater, but that first hour is so long. Infinity War, I find revisiting more because it's just like a nonstop action romp. And I think it's actually next to Ragnarok it's like it might even be my favorite Thor in Infinity War he has that great monologue about his entire life and everybody that he's lost and he you know uh what else can they take away from me 
it's just kind of, I think, still the best moment that Hemsworth has in the whole MCU. So, um, yeah, there, there, there is, there, there's stuff to that, Mike, but you were, you are going to bump on the, the, the bit of, which I know you don't like is there's comedy undercutting, you know, the badass stuff a lot. And I felt like it was very well balanced in Ragnarok to still let the badass stuff breathe and, and really commit to it and not, you know, make sure that we know that the creators think this is also ridiculous. And they kind of always want you to know that in this one. Yeah, that 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 unfortunately is is not what I wanted. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, and and I'll go I'll go in and watch it with an open mind. And and even you know even a lot of the MCU movie uh, that I don't always love, Eternals notwithstanding, because fuck that one. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I I rewatched instead of going to see Thor because uh, I didn't want to go to a theater. I rewatched Multiverse of Madness uh, the other night and was tweeting about and about how on second rewatch I just stopped I stopped caring about all the problems I had because Sam Raimi just so whips it out and flexes in that movie that I just stopped, I stopped caring about my spirit problems with it right I was just so watching it as a Sam Raimi movie and you know so hopefully my guess is I'll probably watch this one and not dig it very much the first time and then six months later, I'll go back and rewatch it and be like, no, actually, you know what? It's fine. It's good. There's good stuff in here. But I, I, it's, it's definitely fine. I'd say even with all the notes, it's fine. It's not like, uh, like what Vice said. Like, it's not, I haven't seen Morbius, but um, it was, I, I, it, it was wild to me. I went on the Rotten Tomatoes thing and just read through everybody's quotes and it would be like four out of five, Taika brings it, bravo, bravo. And they'd be like one out of five, an embarrassment. And I was just like, what is going on with this movie? It's so hit and miss with people. I, I tweeted that last night, actually. Uh, remember when movies could just be fine? Like those were the fucking days. Like when a movie could just, you know, you could watch it and just go, it's fine. Like, like, I miss those days. <laughs> I, I do think people are just sick of 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 the MCU, and they can stay. They're like sensing weakness, and they're like, "Kill the beast while it's wounded." You know, people are kind of like trying to take it out. I get it. it. I think yeah, there, there's blood in the water with the MCU, and I think a lot of people are choosing this time to uh, get their chomp in. Yeah. Also, I think people are sick of Taika too. Like, which is like you know, and that's the thing is like he's a very divisive person, director, yeah. character. So like like. You know, with the Morbius example, it's kind of a nothing movie. That's why you can see call it objectively bad. But like here, if you're not into Tiger's Tick, he's going all the way with it. So like, if you love that, like that's why I, I can kind of see why part of the division is that like um, there's not it's not a nothing movie. He's trying, but like if you don't if you don't like to see he's trying, you're gonna fucking hate it. That's, that's it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. And 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 I there, I'm not like as terminally online with the Taika stuff. I don't, I don't watch his shows. Um, the, the, our flag means death. Um, but the, he definitely is, is uh, grading on a, a, a lot of film Twitter. I would still say most people don't know who he is though. Yeah. And even, even with that show, like it's not like, that's also like Jermaine is doing a lot of that too. Like, it's not just like, like the you know, same from like the, we're doing the shadows like so it's not just him in, in those regards but like when it is just him i think people can, can sense that oh those who know of his uh 
this flavor of, of, of shit. You know, they could they could sense that. So like, they're totally not gonna be bored at all with this. I, I think no, no matter what. I mean, we see it quite a lot, don't we? When somebody's you know beloved in the indep- more independent film industry, like he was doing what we do in the shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People and stuff like that, where people were very fond of him and very much behind him and now he has this level of success and it's not just a level of a success with Taika is it like he struts around and he has a very huge personality and yeah I think that um we like to build people up and as a you know the human race loves to do that and then just knock them right down and I think that this is certainly isn't going to help for the people that are already kind of pissed off and again, in a certain way, he's also like you know, it, it's to be fair to, to be fair to that is like uh he kind of invites it like he doesn't get he oh, yeah. show up to a, show up to accumulate coke out of his mind but like that's, that's just that's just kind of guy he is so like you know he if right. he can take it you know he got the money and the babes whatever yeah he, life, so. his photographs <laughs> what was he photographed making out with his girlfriend and Tessa Thompson and like smoking darts at the same time I was yeah. kind of like I, not just his girlfriend Rita Ora Ora yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like I, I can't hate on this guy I'm sorry like uh, <laughs> you know he's he's doing whatever he wants I also just like huffing darts in between it was like man this is this is another time taika you're taking it back <laughs> so here so i want to want before we we're on time also mike give one more thing to say but yeah yeah i just was gonna say well also going to your point liam of you don't think that most people actually know who he is um or don't care and this is one of the problem with terminally online brain friend of the show scott mendelson just right <laughs> as we started recording tweeted uh, 143 million domestic, 302 million worldwide. All this shit that we're talking about, everything that any <laughs> of us ever talk about on fucking Twitter doesn't fucking matter because nobody gives a shit. They want to go see Hemsworth make the punchy punchy and make the smoochy smoochy with Natalie Portman. And ultimately, that is all they give a shit about. And we're all idiots. <laughs> I, no, I, I saw it with a nine-year-old daughter, 12-year-old son, and, and his 12-year-old friend, and, and they loved it. And I, I just wow. was kind of like, yeah, of course, yeah. great. Of course, yeah, of course. I'm sure they, I'm sure they, pop, I'm sure they popped the, the, yeah, the, the Battle Kids part. Oh, man. I, if I oh, was she loved show, it. She said oh, that man. my favorite part was when the little girl uses a rabbit to kill the shadows. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, of course. That, that was no, sick. Yeah. That was made for the kids to love all of it. But so though that, that all said, I do want to get to some uh, useless nerd shit though, because I do think it actually does does make is important at least for um the, in, narratively or at least like um the end game quote unquote for phase four where it's going. This is some of like this is some of that uh, metatextual metamorphosis I was talking about. That's a good point. It's a good segue because you brought up Scott's tweet well that for the box office. But earlier he had mentioned how like um he was talking about the there was news about Captain America four uh Captain America slash the Falcon Samuelson has the that movie come up has a new director he was kind of just saying how um he kind of offhandedly like uh they made a whole at the end of at the end of uh endgame it was kind of definitive that yes sam wilson is now captain america and he, he kind of joked that uh they, they spent a whole series wasting time doing showing that again so but, you know and, uh, i have a problem with the show but i you know i i liked it more than most people did i liked it more than most people did did but um the point being that um there's a lot of this um the, the thing that makes MCU unique is that they use a lot of uh, our real real world textual stuff to color and imprint uh, how their stories work. You know, the, like the, the the first Avengers movie, that's like a kind of a 
cathartic 9-11, you know, using a lot of real world stuff. You know, even Iron Man or Iron Man Origin, he is born as opposed to originally some like, you know, Southeast Asian um, cult custom. He is taken by Middle Eastern terrorists. Like that part of our real world is now imbued into MCU forevermore. So that's always going to be a big thing coming up with these movies, no matter what. Like it's, it's capable simply because they put it there in the first place. So I, to me, it's been always... It, it demands being talked about because it, otherwise, why, why do you forget to put the shit in there? So, um, and we, we mentioned this stuff with Ragnarok, but the, the whole colonialism angle, and, you know, Taika Waititi being um, part of uh, Native of New Zealand, originally, that works mostly in the movie, but even then there's some problems with it because like, uh, it still kind of hinges upon the white guy to fix it. Well, you know, he's, he realizes he's part of the problem, but like, you know, the, the, the subjugated, the dominated cultures have less of a say but you know that's that's again this is how the surface level stuff meant to be surface level it's not meant to be dug any deeper so you kind of you just have to let it slide that's 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 what it's for it's not the purpose so here what i want to talk about is like a where the phase four is going and like where these characters are going is um i'm seeing this thought of uh who's next the, the future generations uh becoming a bigger theme more and more and specifically here in this in this movie because at the end we see that um a young girl is uh the, the whole impetus behind gore's onslaught his rampage his daughter dying is now brought back to life and as the, and with with the powers of eternity which is i guess is a actual physical being in this marvel universe eternity that the concept of eternity is a god-like entity so she but so now she's under the tutelage of thor to go forth into the future and help you know fight for the for, force of good and so we have her now and we have things like Miss Marvel, the new show on uh, Disney Plus, where we have this uh, new younger um, actor and character inheriting these mantles. And so it's really, I, that's, I hope, and it's still what Mike mentioned before, like he, he kind of uh, postulated that this is all leading towards like a Young Avengers kind of thing um, between that, but also the other side to this newer characters, like we mentioned in the, the Falcon Winter Soldier show, we now have Yelena Bel- Elena, you know, Florence Pugh, uh, Black Widow's sister. We now have a U.S. agent, the evil Captain America. So, which is also kind of foreshadowing the, the Thunderbolts, the uh, in the in the comics, the famous uh, anti Avengers, like a villain squad. Um, so, you, you, we seem to be forming these these. I, I from what I can only assume from the text of the movie so far, is building towards either one or two, one or both of these entities becoming a a big focal point. Um. And it's, uh, as far as the text of these stories is dealing with our real world, the one thing I've, that kind of not bothers me, but I'm curious about, and I'm really a little bit apprehensive, but also anxious, also curious to see what they do with it is um, how this future goes forward. Because uh, overall, you could say the problem with not just MCU or DC, but superheroes is that ultimately they maintain the status quo. And this is like, you know, this is all that's, uh, this is the problem we have, you know, like the, the film discourse is that they want the problems of the real world to be solved in the in the movies that's that it can't work that way because it's, it's fucking movies you can't you can't solve racism you can't solve uh the uh immigrant diasporas captain america can't solve that shit you know he's just, just he's gonna punch, <laughs> he's gonna punch people you know so like so i i, I guess from that step I, I guess see people being you know frustrated frustrated with where, the, where this movies are going my, my only hope is that um if i i can see kind of more clearly now the future, the literal and figurative future of this series, where it's going, and I, I hope they kind of build them up, like uh, hook them up. These these actors, they have a good crop here going. I, I, and it, also, 
not just the young girl, but in this movie, uh, we have Heimdall's son, Heimdall Ujusoba, who passed away in the previous movies. His son has now has his powers of vision and, and, and sight, and he's, he's gonna, he, he, becomes, he becomes a critical uh, player in this movie as well. So even him now being part of this uh, future of the MCU, um, I'm really hoping that they do something great with all these characters. They can either get them together in one film or just kind of make sure that they're all, their presence is felt more so in the coming movies slash TV shows. And then the last thing I'll say is that with that, though, I do, um, again, we, we can't, because I mentioned that the real stuff is baked into the MCU, we also just can't, like, uh, it's hard to ignore the, the crushing reality of the real world as we watch the movies, at least for me as an American. So, you know, it's like, uh, I appreciate the sentiment and the uh, value of stating that the future is the children or the future is these, those we pass the mantle to. but Again, with superhero movies and shows and stuff and media being about status quo, I feel like a fundamental piece missing is the um, there's there's providing for the children, but you also have to set the conditions to ensure a successful future. And I don't see that happening really here in these movies or the shows or any of the media. Like the like because part of the uh, part of the conflict in the Winter Soldier show was that uh, because Thanos disrupted the economy and of the world and then they came back there's now this like widespread uh, disparity and this just kind of gets kind of brushed off at the end and so like because again they're not here to solve the world problems they had to punch people so they, they don't have the capacity to do so and um so i don't think i it's probably unwise to expect the movies to suddenly do so nowadays but just uh i just want to say that you know if people are frustrated or upset with these films in that regard because of the weight of reality um that can't seem because this escapist fantasy stuff if it doesn't penetrate with you because the weight of the world is so crushing i can totally get that part so i, I can see why it's frustrating because I, I, I honestly I, I would love that to be the fantasy i would love for the mcu to, to say hey what if we made the world better for the kids they could fight you know i would love that shit but you know for now it's still kind of the same uh the same old uh wheel spinning <laughs> so i'll 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 i my review on that you know i, I hope that it can be a more fundamental change, but we, we have to understand that that's really not what these things are meant for because they're just, they're gonna keep continuing this machine because why not? They're making billions of dollars as we just saw. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think um, the favorite, my favorite MCU show of all of them so far was Hawkeye because it seemed to flow a lot better in terms of the, of the story. It didn't feel kind of jumbled up or forced or anything. But that ended with Hawkeye getting no comeuppance for having a murder spree as Ronan and killing Christ knows how many people. And that was fine. It was. Yeah. And I, I, that troubled me. And I'm not sure what kind of message that's sending like yeah. in a show that is about the next generation that we're passing the mantle to. Yeah. So I'm saying, like, I, I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss people's concerns with these MCU shows. But here, I've gotten to a lot of arguments and, and kerfuffle about the MCU being a DOD propaganda. And there's a whole thing that we don't have to get to, but like, you know, there is some truth in that, at least as far as like, they're here to maintain the status quo, socially, culturally, or at least, at least within narratively, they maintain the status quo. And so I understand, it's very understandable that people are getting frustrated with not just, you know, the way that they look, but like, what they're saying like this is like the same shit over and over like we, we're not there's no actual 
forward momentum or progress into how heroes, the, the, the root word of the superhero, can actually help change the world beyond punching bad guys. And I, so I totally understand that frustration. And, you know, it's definitely setting for me as well. Um, ironically, the, the, the thing that did it the best was uh, of all the MC properties was the Punisher on Netflix. Like that, like he actually, like he went and literally killed the government. Like, like, like he was a fucking plan. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he, he also, like, he also, like, wore the scars of that. And, and I think John Barthol, the actor, pretty much like played that beautifully. But yeah, that's other than that, that's kind of the outlier. This is more or less kind of just like the same status quo kind of movies. And you know, eh, that's 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 uh, that's just we gotta we gotta deal with, live with that. But it's still it's the same. I think we should express our frustrations with that as well. So yes. fair. Yeah, it's hard to make a drama out of utopia. So uh, you know, you kind of constantly have to read set to a place where things are imbalanced and heroes need to punch people to make some sort of slight difference. So it's hard to, to kind of figure out that balance. I, my only thing about that MCU is I don't think there's like any thematic, like actual coherence to what the MCU is saying about the world at all. So it's hard to be like, Oh, I, I've been indoctrinated into thinking what <laughs> the U S department of defense wants to say when like, when you're watching civil war, you're like, wait, what, what do they yeah. want? Like, I, I, you know, it kind of, it doesn't yeah, I, really yeah, hang together. Yeah. It doesn't really hang together. But then in Infinity War, they were like, Iron Man was right. And you're like, oh, what? <laughs> so I, I just, it kind of, it just, it, 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 it's always just whatever the scene needs to be to get to the next scene, I, yeah. or the next movie. That's comics though, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. What drives me nuts about the MCU discourse is like, they are now for the first time in history, we have a proper cinematic representation of what the bullshit that I have spent my entire life reading <laughs> looks like. Where they make it up as they fucking go and, and nothing sticks together. And, and I think part of that is what like makes people's minds melt is because they're expecting a language of cinema and really what the MCU is doing is a language of comic books, of serialized storytelling yeah. and all its flaws and all its difficulties. I mean, there, there's not a one of us that hasn't been reading a comic book and we're loving it because Walt Simonson's writing it and then some fucking idiot takes over for him and we're like, what the fuck just happened? Like, like I was loving this book and now it's shit. Like, that's kind of how the MCU works, right? Where it's like, shit gets retconned because every creator comes in with their own new ideas and they want to do something different. And it's frustrating and infuriating and stupid. Yeah. But we love it. I mean, I got a fucking <laughs> giant Superman statue behind me here. Like, we love it. And that's always the thing for me with the, with the MCU. I again having not seen this movie but i feel like everything you guys have talked about i almost don't feel like i need to see the movie because i can already tell you exactly what my review of the movie right it's fine it's a bit of a misfire for the mcu but it ultimately it doesn't matter that much because i still got no way home and i fucking love that movie with every fiber of my being so like whatever who cares i'll move on to the next one you know, and uh, 
that's how comics work. You don't like a comic, you just move on to the next one. You don't like a writer, you you wait until he's off. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's, it's crazy to me that people get so worked up about these because they, I, look, I'm accepting the whole like Disney taking over movie theaters and kind of ruining the film industry. This is not about that. This is not about the business. This is about the narrative side. These don't yeah. matter. They're they're fun. And if they're not fun, wait for the next one because the next one's going to be fun. You know, and the next one's going to be good. I, I'm totally with you, Liam. I think the sort of 17 to 19 art is peak MCU. I've said this before. I feel like the problem I have with Phase 4 is I got everything I wanted out of Endgame. And yeah. I don't feel like there's really anywhere for them to go for me personally that's going to match that. So it's always, it, it, it's, it's closing time. Like one last call for alcohol. Uh, like get your <laughs> beer. Like, like it, it's, they're the guests that have stayed at the party a little too long, but that doesn't mean they're bad. That's no. Yeah. Like we're, I'm watching Miss Marvel with my nine-year-old and, and she's loving it. And she's asking me questions about, uh, Muslims and, and, and Bangladesh and, and stuff that we just wouldn't be talking about otherwise, you know, and she was just kind of like, you know, asking me about, well, what are they doing right here? Why are they praying that way and stuff? And it's like, you know, I, I know people get annoyed by the somewhat um, like half-hearted um, diversity, or I, I, there was obviously some controversy with um, Love and Thunder about like queer baiting and they're kind of, they do the bare minimum to make the characters gay and stuff like that. But there are, it, it's still, it still is these moments and you do get, uh, I think, I think Miss Marvel, I, I, I think I've watched the first three, but I, I am enjoying that one quite a bit. Cause I do feel like even me at 40 years old, I'm learning stuff about this, uh, this, this like uh, culture that I, I just otherwise wouldn't. And I think it, it does have a, a lot of authenticity. So, you know, there, there's always, um, different like you're saying better ones uh within each phase and and, and all of that i was going to say one other thing about it which was we did talk about the terminally online aspect actually affecting the mcu was the james gunn firing and how that fucked up this whole phase as well because getting that uh guardians volume three before any of these movies feels like it would have changed everything and uh, I could definitely feel it being a bit of a letdown to be like, we're going to get a Guardians Thor movie. And then they just move through that sort of in a in fast forward in the first 10 minutes of this one. Um, and then the last thing I would say uh, back to, to Kirsten's initial point about the different media, I think uh, obviously I've been on Twitter, a huge fan of, of Stranger Things season four. And the finale has like a really metal music drop that is done so goddamn well that it's better. It, it really like out metaled uh, Thor Love and Thunder, which was kind of saying like, hey, we're going to be this metal superhero movie. And I feel like Stranger Things did it better a week ago. So I felt like that also <laughs> kind of brought things, uh, it, you know, it, color, it colored my view. Uh, but yeah, those are, my, those are my final thoughts on Love and Thunder. Kirsten, um, I, I have one. Uh, uh, we'll get to your final thoughts too, but I have one question. So you are, you and I are the resident like super nerds here. Uh, did you read the Jason Aaron, Jane Foster Thor? No. And you know what? I was going to. And then when Moon Knight came out, 
Like, I'm a big Moon Knight fan. I, like, read probably most of the comics, I would say, or 99% of them. And I found it ruined the show for me quite a lot because I was like, what is this shit? Like, where's my Moon Moon Knight? Like, I I got very upset by it and very uh, distressed. And I was like, I'm letting the the source material ruin this for me. And I I can't let that happen to me again with Thor Love and Thunder. So I ended up, I'll read them afterwards and I'll check it out. But uh, a lot of other, uh, my colleagues at Den of Geek love those comics, love the God Butcher run, and were just very disappointed by how all this played out. Like, it was just not... It was not what they wanted from a God Butcher villain, so um, that's my I can't problem. speak to it. No, no but... that's why I was asking, because that's my problem, is I love that run, too. Yeah. So I'm a little worried going into this, because that run is emotional and heartbreaking and moving and just um, kind of everything you could want out of comics. And right. so seeing the reviews of this one and even listening to the three of you talk, I'm a little like, okay, yeah, I, I definitely need to um, compartmentalize and set yes. uh, yeah. before I go see this one. And, and that was something from minute one when they announced that, that they were making this and Taika was directing it and they were going to do the Jane Foster Thor arc. I was like, oh, look, I like Taika, but he is the wrong guy to do this. Like, Like, this is... Like, of all the MCU directors, actually, frankly, Ryan Coogler is the one who probably should have directed this one. Because he's, yeah. he's the one that could have done, I guess, the, the justice, the scope, the emotion to what that arc deserves. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, my expect, I appreciate this conversation that y'all have had, having been the one who hasn't seen them, uh, because it... It's gonna. I think I'm gonna like the movie better than I would have after this conversation because of everything that y'all have said. Um, but Kirsten, any final thoughts on that? No, I mean, I really, I really did just enjoy it. I didn't. Uh, I, I'm like I said, I'm willing to forgive a lot if I have a good time watching a movie, and just straight up had a good time watching Love and Thunder. It was, it was just fun. And uh, maybe after Moon Knight, I was I was in the mood for a bit of like just good old fashioned colorful fun on the and it it really does come across a lot like a summer blockbuster as opposed to you know just a, any other time. This movie couldn't really come out any other time of year. It just feels like the vibes are different um, as you go into these months. And I think Thor and Love and Thunder, for better and worse matches those vibes and um it, i think if you hated the co- if you hated the comedy in ragnarok yeah you will you will probably hate love and thunder but uh i en- i enjoyed that element of it and was happy enough to see a straight up comedy here and it also doesn't have somebody going i'm Stephen grant in the <laughs> uk accent that's ever been said <laughs> <laughs> That yeah, was actually you, better, I think. <laughs> you were supposed to be on our Moon Knight episode. That was, yes. in, in you, you know, you're under the weather. And so we were so confused. That that was one of our more, like, fumbling around in the dark. <laughs> like, what is this show? I actually I, came to enjoy it by the, the last, like, three episodes. You know, I yeah. like I'm traveling a river through Egyptian underworld 
on a boat with like an alligator is you know I, I can't hate that but the, the the pilot is maybe my least favorite MCU thing ever okay. I didn't finish the ship because I was like I didn't watch this I, yeah, that's probably a <laughs> rough man Probably, man. <laughs> and Kirsten's right. It's not. It's not Moon Knight. I mean, that's the problem. It's not fucking right. Moon Knight. Any way you slice it, it's not Moon Knight. Like the show is what it is, and there's entertaining parts, but it ain't fucking Moon Knight. I, right. I have no idea why they went the direction. I think if I hadn't read the so many of those comics, I would have probably found it quite interesting and fun. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it, it confused me quite a great deal. There we go. Thor, billion dollars at the box office. Movies are saved. There we go. <laughs> take a take a look at mountain of coke, like Tony Montana. Like <laughs> Tony Montana. You gotta send me the video of him coked out. There was actually a it's coke all joke. Of them. Every every Q and A, he's he's whacked out of his fucking mind. Like they're, literally. <laughs> they're doing they're doing the thing where he's talking to the kids and he's transforming and then they start. He, he starts having Thor rub his nose like he's all gacked out because someone's tickling him on the other end. I was like, that is a deliberate coke joke. <laughs> and then, uh, Mike, uh, earmuffs for a second. I just want to say my favorite joke in the movie is where he's like, we're going to rescue the children, and when we return, we will feast. We will not feast on the children like we did in the dark times. Those were dark times. Those were shameful times. Like that to me was, I, I, I kept laughing for like five minutes to myself after okay, that. Okay, so uh, that is actually fucking hilarious. <laughs> that's the shit that again, Taika, when Taika's on, that's the shit he can do. Like the guy can make me laugh. Like yes. nobody's business. Like, but he's also, he's weirdly, he's a fascinating filmmaker to me because I love and hate him. He's almost in the, the Michael Bay category where I love and hate him at the same time. Although I've, I've come more to the love side of Bay lately, but he just, he's so insufferable. But <laughs> that, 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 what you just said, that shit is funny. And <laughs> yeah, Hemsworth's delivery is like shameful times. It's just like fucking funny. Oh my god! Like, I'm like actually legit laughing at that, and that's your representation of it. Like, so it's just it, it, it's tough. I, I get the whole Taika thing, um, but. Uh, when he hits, he does hit. I mean, when he when he's on, he's on. He just is. Uh, he's gotten. I think it's fair to say, and you know, we've talked about this. He's gotten very, very uh, full of himself, and I think that's what's turning a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people, as soon as you're 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 having a three way with Rita Ora and Tessa Thompson, <laughs> people are just not going to be okay. Don't hate on that, guys. Hate him for the movie, but don't don't be a hater. Come on. <laughs> All right. Um, we do have a couple of trailers we want to talk about. Uh, Kirsten, you get to hang out for a bit, or do you need to bounce? I do need to bounce, but can I just tell your listeners about something we've got coming up at the end of this month? Sorry, it's a shameful, shameless plug. No, no, our uh, website. <laughs> I absolutely am going to give you all the time in the world you need so oh, right. I like that it's a shameful plug that she's shameful. actually feeling bad about it. That's yeah. <laughs> we're American. We don't feel bad about anything. You probably know. Uh, so uh, uh, yes, please tell people a first of all where they can find you, 
and B, please tell them what is coming up on Den of Geek. Well, you can find me at Den of Geek pretty much every day, although I'm less writing there now, more editing. But uh, you can also see me weekly on Marvel Standom, which is our streaming series. That's on the Den of Geek Twitch. Uh, that gets archived on YouTube. It's also, it also becomes a podcast, so you can listen to it um, on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so, yeah, come and see me struggle to explain time travel in Ms. Marvel right now. Um, come and see me get just heartbroken over Moon Knight, if you like. Um, but yeah, Den of Geek, I've been there seven years and it doesn't look like I'm going anywhere fast, so that's where you can find me. I'm also Emotional Pedant on Twitter, if you want to follow me there. I don't know why you would, but you know, anything's possible in this mixed up crazy world. So Den of Geek is sponsoring the world's first film and TV festival dedicated to all things action at the end of this month. We're holding our... Uh, uh, the London Action Festival is having its inaugural event at Picturehouse Central, right in the heart of London's West End, over four days between the 28th of July to the 31st of July. We've got Die Hard and Predator screenings with Q&As with director John McTiernan, 25th anniversary Con Air screening with uh, director Simon West, Legend of the Drunken Master screening, New 4K resolution, original, uncut Hong Kong, Hong Kong version in Cantonese with English subtitles. And we have some incredible panels and masterclasses with key behind the scenes action crew, stunt performers, VFX artists, driving stunt professionals, you name it. Loads of cool stuff being added every day. So if you want to come along, it's LondonActionFestival.com to get all the latest and check out ticket packages. Um, it looks like my Marvel Standom co-host Mike Cicchini and I will both be there on the ground supporting the festival in any way we can. So if you want to come along and say hello, why not? Hello. And we, we definitely do have some uh, fans in the UK and uh, in London. So if you're listening, like, if you listen to us and you're not going to this, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, you'll have a good time. Kirsten, uh, you will are absolutely wonderful uh we would love to have you back on again i know that i'd love to come back yeah you guys have been great thank you it's been fun the time difference is sometimes a little difficult but we would absolutely love you to have to have you back this was this was wonderful. thank you so much yeah, yeah thank you. you this is like uh because i have um my day job is also online and i talk yeah. to people uh offshore as they say so this is the tweet opposite <laughs> that. This is actually fun. I love doing this shit. So yes, Kirsten, thank you once again. Like like Mike saying, really appreciate you coming, spending your time with us. We'd love to have you back as well. Oh, thank thank you. you for having me, guys. I uh, wish, uh, you, uh, Kirsten, uh, I I can't actually show you my my smiling face on the video because it will make the entire pod unstable. But uh, yeah, it was it was great to talk with you, and uh, definitely. Uh, Hope to have you back. And that lineup for that festival is absolutely insane. You got to go see it if you're in London. All right. Thanks, Kirsten. Uh, <laughs> you log out. Bye. We're going to keep talking some bullshit here. So, okay. Right. Thank have you again. I'll talk to you guys later. So, bye. Thank you. Man, she was cool. Uh, that was, uh, that was, that was, that was great. That was delightful. Um, let me see, let me see if my, my internet is, is it, is it easy now that there's three people? I, it might be, it might be Okay. You're still a little wonky. Um, but yeah, no, you're was st- I wonky the whole pod. Uh, mm. no, turn off your video. Um, 
No, you're you were you were mostly okay, but for whatever reason, man, yeah, your video is just killing it. Um, I'm gonna leave all this in because, folks, we we are we are raw. We uh, we don't we don't hide this shit. I can edit this out, but I'm not going to. I want you to know the trials and tribulations of being a uh, modern American podcaster. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're like sharks, we have an ambulance. We don't stop. We don't stop. <laughs> we don't stop. Ah, uh, oh, goddamn! Every time I hear that phrase, I, I, I just, I get chills. Anyway, um, all right. So we got a couple of trailers we do need to talk about. Uh, we need to talk about first and foremost, um, Carter, the new movie from director Jung Young Gil, uh, the director of the Villainous and Confession of Murder. Uh, I watched this trailer. Uh, I'm gonna kick it over to Vice in a second. But uh, I'm going to have a pretty spicy take about this trailer. But uh, Vice, you you tell us what you thought first. Oh, my God. Like, okay, so here's the thing. Part of what made the villainous to me so special, unique, is that um, there's a very there's a very particular, I can only describe it as second-person view. It's like uh, there's the performers doing the action, and then you and the audience, and somehow the camera work, it's almost like you're fighting with sometimes against the the actors and thing. And so in The Villainous, that was kind of a, you know, well, the reason why it's so, uh, so notorious is that unique sense of, sense of, uh, of camera work, but also it's also a bit divisive because it's, uh, you know, people, it's a very uh, vertigo inducing or, you know, or in that regard, it could be uh, literally disorienting, but also some might regard as too showy. I'm all about that shit. I fucking love it. I, well, how about you want to, Invent new ways to show action. Give me, give me that shit. So, um, I, I was down with villainous when I saw it at the uh, New York Asian Film Festival when it premiered a few years ago. This trailer, uh, just it's and so here's the other thing. Talking about you know uh, gimmicks and stuff. This does appear to be a one take, quote unquote, single scene kind of movie where we have this um mysterious secret agent, only known as Carter, being driven into this um action against seemingly like CIA and other uh, covert agents. And so the trailer shows this uh, kind of really high-paced kinetic, there's uh, uh, trucks and and and, and explosions and, and multiple three D like levels of buildings. So all this kind of kinetic stuff that I've seen mostly at, as it, as I mentioned through this like, kind of second person view, as if you're right there along with the main main character, the main actor. So yeah, I'm 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 definitely on board with this kind of this kind of action. Uh, and again, you know, it, it can I think it might be a little too. Um, off-putting potentially or or, or or disorienting for some but no i am all, all i'm all about this i i i i'm definitely down with it what it comes to you know I, I, and really my only thing is uh the only thing that that's that's uh upsets me or gets me down about the trailer is that uh i gotta watch the gray man first before i see this i mean as in like like i have to like sit through the gray man before i can see, see carter i want to see carter now god damn it i, I want to see i want to see this thing i want to see what it has, has in store for us i don't want to I almost don't want to bother with the Russo shit, you know. <laughs> I, just want to, I want to get to this. this. This is what I'm paying this fucking twenty five dollars a month for Netflix for. I want that shit. Give it to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, Liam. Did you? Uh, did you? You didn't get a chance to see the trailer, right? Oh, uh, never mind. Oh, 
um, I did. I did see the trailer. Can okay. you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm muted. Yeah, um, yeah I, I I thought it looked just sort of like a, like a solid action movie. Uh, check out. I didn't really have a, a, a spice to take one way or the other. <laughs> um, so yeah, Mike, you, let, let, let's bring, bring the flames. Well, it's not really bringing the flames because I mean, ultimately at its core, like I consider the villainous to be a three-star movie. Um, it's, it's good. And, and I actually think that, you know, a lot of people shit on the story and I actually think the story is pretty good. It, it very much has a old school Hong Kong story of this assassin who tries to get out of the game and then gets pulled back in and, and suffers tragedy. The problem for me is vice. You nailed it. Um, I fucking yacked watching the villainous, like the, the way it shot gives me motion sickness. And it was, it took me about four different tries to me. It was the same thing with hardcore Henry. Uh, it took me about four. I, I could only watch it at about 15 minutes at a time. And I'm all about pushing action forward, but I watched that trailer for Carter. And all I could think was, this is going to be miserable for me. I'm going to watch it. it. And that's not really a, a comment on the quality of the movie, but the trailer made me sick. Yeah. So if the trailer's making me fucking sick, what's the movie going to do to me? And, and so, and, and I know uh, months ago we had a, there was a, a I don't want to even say a scrap, but a bit of a back and forth on Twitter amongst some of our uh, European action Twitter friends, because uh, Alex Rayo, uh, uh, one perfect headshot is also not a big fan of the villainous. If I'm remembering correctly, Alex, if I'm not, I apologize, but I believe you are the one that is not a big fan of the villainous. And it was kind of him and me just being like, it's not all that. It's interesting and it's great as a tech demo and it would be an awesome YouTube video, but as a two hour movie, it was kind of just there, you know? And I remember when John wick three came out and they blatantly lifted the motorcycle scene and everybody's all pissed off. And I'm like, yeah, but the motorcycle scene in John Wick 3 looks better because Chad Stahelski is actually better at doing this shit. Oh, that's his perfect thing. Oh, shit. He's doing shots now. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, um, I'm going to watch Carter. I think it looks like a, uh, I'm sure the movie's going to be fine. Um, I'm sure it's going to be good, even not fine. It's going to be good. Uh, but I am absolutely 100 fucking percent dreading the experience of watching the movie because I don't know why a filmmaker wants to make even 2% of his audience, you know, throw the fuck up. Like the, why do you want to do that? That's not what, like, I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I understand the immersion, but immersion, somebody on somebody on, I don't remember who it was, but they pointed out, uh, Here's the thing. I think it was our 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 friend for Crazy Cats or uh that that did it. But he pointed out the problem is when they try and do these first person shooters in video games have the same problem. When they try and create this immersion, they they blur and shake everything. But the but the human eye actually has inherent motion stabilization. So you're not actually creating immersion because 
if I'm running down a hill and throwing some kicks and some punches and shooting some motherfuckers, my eyes are still focused. I'm still clear. It's not like visual. Yeah. My shit's not bouncing all over the place. Right. And so when they try and replicate that in movies or, or games, their ideas bounce it, but that's like the last possible thing they should be doing. You know who did it right? George Miller and Fury Road. Because for all the cuts and the shaky cam and that, one of the things he, and I'm drawing a blank on his uh, cinematographer's name. I know the his wife was the editor, but one of the things they all did was they made sure that our line of sight was stable, no matter how chaotic everything else going around it was. And when I John, watch... John Seal's name. Uh, yeah. And, and when I watch the trailer for Carter, I'm like, I don't even fucking know where to look. Uh, and that's what ends up making me sick. So um, I'm I'm dreading watching this movie. Is is the best I can say. Yeah, I will say yeah, yeah, yeah definitely got those uh, hardcore Henry vibes as well. I I want to know what again. It's only like about maybe like a two minutes of footage. So I I'm curious if it's a little bit uh, cleaner. There's one like a the whole show is money shots, but there's one money shot particular where it's like a he's knocked off the back of a uh, like a Humvee or whatever. And he grabs it to the side to come back around to the front of the Humvee. And that seemed a little more, even though it was like a comparison to in the villainous, like the, one of the climactic battles or the climactic battle is on a bus. So there's a lot of like lots of whips and rounds of uh, going outside the bus, inside the bus and so forth. So that shot did appear to be somewhat more say, stable, but you know, that it's only a few seconds of footage. Still, so we'll have to wait and see until the final product to see if he's a, uh, perhaps corrected that a little bit we'll see and and in fairness you know 75 percent of the villainous is a traditionally shot movie like i don't want to overstate it's really just the opening 10 minutes of the villainous because even the bus fight i was i was okay but that opening 10 minutes of the villainous was Mm -hmm. a miserable cinematic experience for me but but most of the movie is fairly traditionally shot and i i would expect that this is probably going to be the same. There's going to be, you know, two or three action scenes that are all yakky. And then uh, the rest of it's probably going to be pretty traditionally shot. Yeah, that, that was my feeling. I watched it on my phone and I was just in the middle of, of, I think, walking around with kids and I was watching it. It just felt like it was you were getting a crazy grab bag of of action scenes it didn't so i couldn't tell that that was what the movie was going to really be like yeah so yeah so hopefully you know if and you know the other part of it is as people have mentioned it's like kind of a um jason Bourne type of espionage thing going on so you know you don't really need like a jerky camera to like you know have two guys talking on walkie talkie about you know government conspiracies so you know we'll, we'll see if, 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 if you can't contain this stuff here but uh yeah the other trailer, uh, and it not even really a trailer, it was really just kind of an announcement and a little bit of footage. But uh, Guillaume Perret's Lost Bullet 2. Um, man, I fucking loved Lost Bullet Vice, <laughs> I know you did too. So, uh, this is the opposite of my feelings about Carter. Give me this shit now, get it in my eyes, get it in my veins, give me the Mad Max murder car, give me all of it. Uh, I am so fucking excited for this movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so funny. We, we, we're talking about the uh, the film Twitter bullshit, like because you know, so the uh, if you haven't seen Lost Bullet, you got to watch it, it's worth the money, worth the time. One of the best. Action movies of the 21st century so far, like that's not a joke, not hyperbole. That's the truth, goddammit. 
So and so that's it. You know, part of the uh, the whole thing is that I set up is that uh, he's a ex-con who's also like a mechanic slash. Uh, well, and it's a very particular thing in France, like this kind of um, story slash real world crime element. They have the, they call them go fast like cars that smuggle stuff. So there's like I guess in film and in, in partly real life, there's a kind of a car culture around that. So not quite how, how American Fast and Furious is, but more like a theirs is a bit more about the fast part and the furious part. <laughs> I guess I don't know. It's hard to describe. But basically, it's like a this uh, gearhead culture, but it's like mixed with like this really hardcore narco element to it too. So he's like a ex con who gets a frame for a murder. So he has to spend the movie, that movie, those bullets kind of uh, going through his wild, crazy adventure that eventually leads in a climactic, apocalyptic car chase, car battle. And so um, I'm really excited to see like how that's going to. And, th- and the thing is, that, w- that movie kind of ended pretty definitively. Like uh, that was, a, I felt, a really solid, as, as far as Natalie, a one, one and done action you know, spectacle. Like that, that was classic one and done story. So, of course, I'm excited to see more of it, but I'm very curious to see where it goes. And so what, what, the thing that, that kind of piqued my interest, is that interest in, in, the, in the teaser here is that uh, apparently he might be a, a police officer now because because the, it looks like the uh, the death chariot is a, a full-on cop car. So, so you know, it's like uh, to all the uh, A-cat people, I'll be sorry, man, this is, this is movies, man. You got to let, 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 let the painter paint. If he's going to be a vigilante, vigilante cop car driver, man, let, let, let him do it, let him. Let him let him ride, man. Let's see it. <laughs> it it's such a ridiculous premise, but such an awesome premise in the first movie. And and you know, Guillaume is he follows uh, I think probably all three of us, uh, but he definitely follows the A4E uh Twitter. And um he's just a he's a good dude. He's made if you go search his name on YouTube, you'll find a lot of his short films on there. He knows action. I mean, he he knows what he's fucking doing, and uh, it, it just, yeah, I'm excited. I Lost Bullet was something that came out of nowhere for me, and I finally watched it. I think primarily Vice because you were such a fan of it, uh, you know. And this was even like kind of back before we were, you know, the friends we are now. And I was like, well, if Vice likes it, I'm gonna check it out. And I watched it, and I was just like, man, that. I know everybody loves the police station fight and the police station fight is great. Like it's a great brawl, but minor spoiler for a movie that's, you know, three years old when he puts the fucking, uh, you know, welds the fucking spikes on the front of his go fast car. I was just like, Oh, I am so all fucking in on this movie. I can't even describe it. Like, like instead of a training montage, we get a make my car into a murder vehicle montage. And, uh, Oh God, it rules. Uh, Liam, uh, have you, you haven't, have you seen lost bullet? No, no, but that, that's actually the best ad that I've heard, uh, for it yet. Make my car into a murder vehicle. So it's just one of those ones you guys will always mention and I'm always out and about and I never yeah. sit down and actually watch it. It's it's pretty short too. It doesn't overstay its welcome. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty quick, breezy Netflix watch. So I, 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 I think it's fair to say we both recommend it. Yeah. To the universe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This is like That part, the, the whole building, like if you, it's like when uh, in Mandy, when the cage is making the beast, you know, the giant fucking metal axe. It's like, I love like that. I love like when like heroes in a movie are crafting their own tools of devastation. Like, uh, remember in, in The Hunted with uh, Benicio Del Toro? And he has like, he's out in the woods. So he has to like make his own 
murders murder blade out of like scrap metal that shit was so cold man <laughs> my, my legit favorite i i think honestly scene of that ever in any movie is in rambo 4 when but the theatrical cut because they kind of the director's cuts better but they fuck up this one scene when he takes the propeller blade and turns it into his new new knife but you get the uh you get the 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 narrative and the flashbacks where he says you know what you are wars in your blood (laughs) comes to it killings as easy as breathing as he's like banging his knife and stuff man i yeah i'm with you i am just such a fucking sucker for that shit i am such a mark i am a shameless stupid mark for that <laughs> shit i am not even a smart i am so all in for that. all rationality goes out the window when i see shit like that in a movie so yeah liam skyline five you got to have somebody make their own like uh alien blade out of a car car hood you gotta make that shit happen <laughs> I'll, I'll put it in the next draft for sure <laughs> Well, and I will also say I'm also a sucker for the power of friendship. So, uh, <laughs> you know, slight tease for what may or may not be in Skyline Five, but uh, yeah, four, four. If it, if it, if it if it happens, yeah. But I, I it's funny because we're there's 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 some similar things to um, to uh, Love and Thunder. It's always part of the process when you're when you're working on stuff. And I've been I've been doing the visual development with um, one of the um, concept designers from the third one over in in Belgium. And um, we were trying to develop this look for this one type of alien. And then there was something I saw Ragnar. I was going to go back to the drawing board uh, on that one, (laughs) but that's, that's kind of part of the process. Yeah. And it, 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 you know, the timing always sucks. You always see these movies um, where, I always hate when somebody's like somebody ripped this off and you look and you're like, but these were clearly in fucking production at the same time. It was just bad fucking timing. Yeah. Like like sometimes the universe just works and people have the same ideas at the same time. And uh, I always hate that people jump on that. Like, come on, you know what a ripoff, like everybody listening, you fucking know what a ripoff movie looks like. Like, like it's not just because something might have a similar look doesn't always mean that that is the case i actually get a lot of people saying like oh this rips off this design from from beyond skyline to me and then i'll always look at it and i'll be like i don't think so you know (laughs) but my wife does it the most of course my my cheerleader defender she's like yeah i was enjoying the show but then they just they ripped you off i'm like i guarantee you they have no idea who i am and they've never seen that (laughs) that is the other thing with being you right being an indie filmmaker it's like you can kind of be like yeah no i know they didn't because they ain't no fucking way they watch that i've seen the numbers i know they didn't fucking watch that yeah yeah i was just like i'm i'm pretty sure it's just like hey you know monsters kind of are similar especially if you're going foam latex um there there's a certain Thing you're going to do when you put a guy into a suit and you know the, the similarities and we were obviously heavily inspired by predator and, and aliens anyway so i never i never get too bent out of shape by that but it is also like um you know trying to i i love the visual development phase because I, I love just working directly with an artist and just talking to them because it's a it's kind of uh it, it's like magic you know and that, that's a little bit more of that stuff that uh, this fucking like the AI concept design and all that stuff. I'm like, ah, there's just, I don't know. I've been feeling this depression about 
all these technological advances, um, are they, they kind of are going to further and further rob future filmmakers of some of the great experiences that I've had, you know, like you just wouldn't go to Indonesia to make, uh, you know, beyond skyline now they'd just be like okay well, well you know we'll 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 piece this thing together we wouldn't definitely would not go to la to toronto and indonesia you know it's like this volume stage thing that everyone's loving and, and stuff it's like you know i don't know i i do think like star wars should be filmed in tanzania it shouldn't be filmed in like you know the the back lot in manhattan beach like so there there's some of that stuff that is um it's, it's incredible. And, um, you know, and it, and it further gives bigger tools to do different things, but it's kind of depressing to me when it, when you use the tools to like kind of short change some of the, um, some of the look and the experience instead of use that tool to like, okay, I'm going to film someone in an environment that doesn't exist. Okay. Well then yes, let's use the volume stage because that doesn't exist. And, you know, I think they use a lot of it in Thor love and thunder. There's all these like shimmering voids and, and interesting locations that, that simply don't exist. And I think that's also some of those conversations about people criticizing the VFX of, of these movies. And it's like, well, on places that don't exist and that we know don't exist, CG is always going to look different than it does on our action movies, you know, you're, you're, you're already entering an uncanny Valley going into it. Um, and, and, and using avatar as the, uh, as the opposite example, isn't that great because that's a movie that's 11, 12 years in the making and it's going to be, it's going to look better than everything. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, a, it's an interesting um, dilemma. I also saw uh, just another VFX thing that like people are saying like, well, a lot of VFX people aren't working on, um marvel movies anymore and i don't still some of the top firms are uh are definitely still still working on those movies but we're in an interesting generational shift right now you know i'm 40 a lot of the people that i met when i first moved out here were like the trailblazers you know and those guys are all 50 now and they kind of have been working at these facilities now for a lot of number of years and they're kind of spinning off and working from home and doing freelance and moving on to different careers it, it is it is an interesting time um, just from my experience to see the, the shift in, in the industry, to see these, like some of the original OG VFX guys are either retiring or kind of moving into different phases of their career. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I haven't really done any deeper digging on that, but it was just something I thought about when people were um, criticizing the VFX in the movie. Well, I just want to, it's kind of, not a spoiler, but we already talked about the movie, but uh, there's a shot going around uh, on Twitter of uh, Thor, like, in a grass field or whatever, and like, people are like, look at this cheap shit for a $200 million movie. But, like, that scene is in a, it's in the, the park, it's in the uh, waiting park area of a cancer hospital. It's supposed to, like, it's like, that's, like, the context of the movie. It's like, it's like this little shitty, like, little place that he doesn't want to be in. <laughs> of course it looks like shit. <laughs> I thought that was so funny that, you know, we have all these, like, Cherry picked like kind of conceptions of what movies should look like, and it's like uh, yeah, that's 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 just a well, okay. In this two hundred <laughs> the two hundred million dollar movie line is going to show up a ton for the gray man, and that's another thing that I'm it kind of is irking me because it's like, do you guys like the budget is a tiered thing that continues to go up, and the biggest budget line item is the actor's salary on all these movies. It is the actor's salary, so. I mean, Marvel's model was actually quite clever when they started and they were kind of doing these $90 million movies because they were hiring 
uh, directors that needed a hit that worked good indie guys that needed a hit. Um, and they were hiring actors that weren't really, you know, box office draws at the time. Um, and so like Chris Hemsworth had been in five minutes of a star Trek movie before he was Thor. And now he's on appearance 10, he's getting, uh, I'm assuming upwards of $10 million for the movie Taika coming off a big hit, like all that stuff adds up. And when that stuff adds up, all the people on the crew get tiered up and it tears up, tears up, tears up. So it is a, it's a top-down thing that does not necessarily reflect that every single image is going to be shrined in gold, I guess. And, and you actually bringing up the gray man is actually a great point because I, a couple months ago when the gray man trailer came out, I tweeted about this, that it's even worse for Netflix because there's no real ancillary revenue for Netflix. So they actually pay their top line stars way more upfront than what a traditional movie would to entice them to come to Netflix. So, you know, uh, the gray man has, uh, I think a $150 million budget or something like that. Or, and I was like, it's not unreasonable that Gosling and Evans got 25 million each. I got some pushback on that. Somebody's like, Oh, they don't even get that from their movies. I'm like, yeah, of course they fucking don't because that's what I'm saying. But you know, Evans got like, 15 or 20 million for Endgame to bring him back for that last one. So like, yeah, 25 million for each of them for a Netflix movie and 10 million for Anna Diarmas is not unreasonable. You take the Russo's cut off of it. And what you've got is a 150, $175 million movie that realistically actually has a production budget of like $90 million. Oh, it's, it's less. I would say the production budget's probably 50. It's like hard to get, above 50 for the actual production budget but the uh, the um but yes that that's what people people keep throwing that number at these things and i'm like it's it's the fucking actors and the directors that are making it's the above the line that's still making this massive chunk out of it and because they make that massive chunk everybody on the crew gets more money no one's gonna give uh you know these these big budget movies breaks it's not that's not the game the game is you get these ones and that's where you make your money for the year. And then maybe you'll do an indie thing on the side. You know, that's even from a vendor standpoint, you know, from a VFX standpoint, from, uh, from anybody across the line. All so the way down to the fucking caterers, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like the, you go to these to get your nut, you know, for the year <laughs> that these movies that they, these are the things that are propping up when they say these are the, the ten poles are, are propping up the studios. They're also propping up everybody down the line. And so that, but that, that money figure that gets kind of like thrown around, it, it really is above the line is taking a, a huge chunk out of it. Um, like I'll give an, a concrete example of um, AVPR, which was, a, I believe a $40 million budget. And I think the actual like workable budget of the movie was 16 and like all this other stuff off the top from all the different rights uh, holders and, and for the, you know, the Thompson brothers and, and Brandywine and, 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 and all the producers and everything. And so the actual like shooting budget from the 16 was like four. So it, it, it the math is just, is, is actually really, really surprising when you get down into the weeds, but you got to always remember that it, it's usually these costs on top that really have nothing to do with the, 
the quality of the movie. It's the actors and the director that are getting, I, mean, I guess not, not nothing to do with the quality of the movie, but necessarily with the quality of the image. And I guess what we should celebrate is when you see a Christopher Nolan movie, you see a Michael Bay movie, no matter what the budget level that it does look like, it's this $200 million movie. It's like, yeah, that's because those guys are that singularly talented. Well, and that that was going to be my counterpoint is, look, there's been no movie that's come out this year that has probably had a bigger above the line cut off the top than what Tom Cruise got paid for Top Gun Maverick because uh, he paid himself. And yet that movie still looks fucking stunning in stunning. a single frame. And so I do I do think when people are throwing out that, well, Marvel movies cost two hundred million dollars and they look like this. I think the, the problem is, is that. They're not necessarily focused on the number, but what they are focused on is that James Cameron made Avatar for that. Uh, Joseph Kosinski made Maverick for that. And yeah, part of that problem is Taika Waititi ain't Joseph Kosinski. Right. And he ain't. Even within Marvel, he ain't Sam Raimi and he ain't Ryan Coogler. And so I do think a lot of it is, it's one of the things that frustrates me about both the, you know, my home away from home Twitter and the hell site that curses my life Twitter is uh, I feel like so many of these conversations if people actually had them in person, like over a beer at a bar all these disagreements that people have on Twitter wouldn't actually be disagreements because they're not as far apart as they think. Because I think 90% of the people, if somebody said, I can't believe Thor love and thunder looks like it does. And it costs $200 million. Uh, and they'd be like, well, you know, and they said exactly what you said, Liam. And then they said, well, yeah, but Maverick looks better. And exactly as you did, you just said, you well, yeah, you're right. I mean, Maverick is better. Like this is, yeah, a- yeah. It, it, yeah. It's kind of like, there's 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 these singular artists and um, and I guess Maverick it's not so singular because it is uh, you know I think Kaczynski has a, a profoundly amazing eye but you know like where I've always said Tom Cruise is a real producer he's not uh, and and he he had the power to force Paramount to make the movie the right way not Kaczynski you know he he was the one who said I want months of training for my actors because we're gonna film this shit for real like. A director like even the Kaczynski, who's a powerful, he 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 wouldn't have been, had the power to force that without this great ally like Tom Cruise. And one of the things I was saying after seeing Maverick is I was like, do any of these other big movie stars watch Tom Cruise's movies and feel somewhat embarrassed? Because he does not seem to want to just get in there and shoot his shit on green screen and get out and get on to the next movie. He wants every single movie to be this incredible cinematic experience. Not saying they always are. I know you did drop in my mentions about the fucking mummy remake, which is still <laughs> like, you know, it's, they still fucking did that plane inverted for real. It's fine. Yeah. The movie, the it, mummy is fucking fine. Like it's, yeah. fine. it's not great, but it's fucking fine. It wasn't from a lack of effort that it didn't work. That's all I'll say. Whereas some of these other ones that, uh, you know, some of these other big movie stars that have the power to do this, but they really just say, how many movies can I, how many paydays can I get in a year? Shoot me out as fast as I can get, get my stunt double to do everything. So that, that is why you celebrate, um, you know, the best of the best. And I'm totally, totally understanding of that. I guess I just, with the Taika thing, it's like, I'd compare him more to like Ivan Reitman, you know, that's, I, I think he's Ivan Wright. I don't, he, he got hired because of what we do in the shadows. He didn't get hired because of he made bad boys. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I just, why were people 
I don't know that that that's to me. He is a comedy writer, director, actor. He was brought in to make these comedies, and he made them comedies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah, the the only last point I was going to make is is I agree with you in terms of Tom Cruise because. Um, look, I love Kozinski too, but you literally, I, I watched Maverick and Spiderhead within like two weeks of one another. And it's very clear which one of those movies was the Tom Cruise movie. Uh, <laughs> I like Spiderhead. I, it's, it's good. It looks great. It's interesting, but it's very clear which one had Tom Cruise as a producer. Um, and I think that's maybe the biggest problem with the MCU is frankly, Kevin Feige ate Tom Cruise. He's done a masterful job but he ain't Tom Cruise. Um, and maybe that's what we all want is we just want Tom Cruise producing all of our movies. <laughs> and my- <laughs> uh, Enter the cruise verse. I'm in. Let's, I'd love it. All right, boys, we have rambled. This has been an exceptionally rambling episode, but anybody that uh, has followed me on Twitter this week knows this has been uh, a staggeringly difficult week for me. Um, and, uh, I love talking to y'all this morning exactly as much as I knew I would. Uh, so, uh, Vice, where can people find you? I am on the Twitters at Vifitis, talking shit, Instagram, looking hot, letterboxed, being smart. But also, if you want to see me in the in the flesh for real, and that's a pretty nice flesh, i tell you what, you can find me on August 2nd here in New York City at the Nighthawk in Williamsburg, where I will be presenting and introducing Michael Bay's masterpiece, The Rock, uh, uh, on screen uh, for all you fans there. As part of uh, Nighthawks, uh, it's called the Action and Scope series. They're going to be a series of action films fe- featuring Michael Bay and, other- and others uh, throughout this month, uh, the month of August. So yeah, I'll be there on the 2nd uh, at 7 p.m. Please come check me out. Uh, we will talk talk shit, drink beers, a lot of fucking fighting. This is the two of us. Who knows, baby? It's all good. Whatever you want. I'll be there. It's, uh, it's two days before my birthday, so I'll pretend I'm there in spirits because I would, and that would be the best birthday present ever if I could actually be there. But I ain't flying to New York, man. It uh, but I will also make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, I mean, you have way more Twitter followers than we have listeners, so everybody's already aware of it, but I'll still put a link in the show notes. So. No, man, our, our, our reach is growing, man. Look at us. We got, we, we're international, baby. We got, yeah. we got, we got shooters in UK. We, 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 go, we know what's up, man. Liam, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter and Instagram, Liam Odin. And then, Mike, did you want to talk about, just shout out your, your article on uh, Neon Splatter as yeah. well, that, that the man himself uh, complimented you on? Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, for those listening, I, um, I, uh, Neon Splatter is my, my writing home. It's, it's the writing version of, my, of this podcast. It's my writing home away from home because Rob Dean rules. And uh, Neon Splatter this month is doing a uh, theme month called Fourths of July, where everybody that's writing for them is writing about fourth entries in uh, series. So there's been articles on Puppet Master 4, Fast and Furious, The Crow, Wicked Prayer, which is a terrific article. I recommend everybody reading it. And when I saw the list and Boyka Undisputed was on it, I, of course, had to jump on it because I have had this article percolating in my mind for uh, months ever since uh, Scott and I actually had a conversation about uh, how religion and Boyka intersect and uh, what is that in fact what makes him 
such an interesting character uh and i think it is uh i mean above and beyond all the cool kicks so i wrote an article talking about how uh boyka's uh fight with god is his greatest fight i will make sure to link that in the show notes too um it's honestly of every article i've written it's the one that i'm uh most proud of uh because it, it really i wrote for people who write um you'll get this I wrote a thousand words in 30 minutes as soon as uh, I told Rob I was going to I was going to do it because I just I'd had that idea boiling for so long. And uh, obviously I refined it and stuff, but uh, the, the initial thing, it just spewed. And that's when you're a writer, that's like the best you can ask for man is when you can just sit down and shit just flows. Cause most of the time I spend four days banging my head on a desk trying to write something. So, um, uh, yeah um check it out i i'm pretty proud of it so thanks for setting me up for that liam much appreciated absolutely i'd also say his haircut is 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 one of my favorite things and of, of why is boyka so iconic it's just the perfect combo of facial hair and hair for scott's face i actually they, they nailed it i actually dm scott there is a bootleg toy company in uh out of china uh that does that made a couple years ago a uh 12 inch they called it the fighter, but it's Boyka. Like the tattoos and everything are accurate. The facial hair and everything is accurate. I like, I'm like, dude, you're not going to get, I know you're not going to get any money from this, but I got to track this fucking thing down. Um, <laughs> I got to get one of these um, because he is, it is, it's Boyka is that iconic. Uh, like uh, one of the things I pointed out in the article is if it was all just about Scott or the action, we'd be talking about fucking Casey Bowman or Mike Fallon, the way we talk about Boyka, but we don't, we talk about Boyka. Um, and I thought that was important to hit on. So, um, you can find me on Twitter and it's, or not on Instagram, Twitter and letterboxd at Hibachi Justice. You can find the show at A4E Podcast on Twitter. That is the letter A, the number four, the letter E podcast. And you are listening to us. So you know you can find us everywhere podcasts can be found. Uh, a little more rambling than usual, but boys, uh, thank you. Needed this this morning. Uh, let's do it again next week. Awesome. This is-